Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, Nolansville. My name is Mike Minter. I'm one of the associate teaching pastors at Franklin, and they take me out of mothballs every once in a while and let me go different places, so I really look forward to being here. I've actually spoken here a couple of times, but at the at your smaller venue, and this is so great. I love this and really enjoyed being with the first uh, service. I also wanted to just say something that I think, I, I don't know how blessed that you are or that you're aware of, but I've listened to, to uh, Jason give numerous devotions at our staff meetings, and I've heard him speak a few times, he is just an outstanding Bible teacher, and I think you really need to recognize that. You don't have that everywhere, and he just does a great job, and I hope that he's doing a, uh, a special time now that he's down in the Amazon, so we don't need to keep him in prayer. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read the first couple of verses, then we'll pray. And I want you to know that I'm probably going to spend the most of my time in the first two verses but we'll get to the others because in the time that we have, there's so much to cover. It's a lot. Romans is a very deep book. There are some pastors that have actually spent as many as uh, eight to ten years in the book of Romans. Uh, the only problem with that is after they're finished, most of the congregation is dead. But uh, <clears throat> we're going through it real quickly, but, uh, but you, can re- you could spend eight to ten years. You can go verse by verse. I spent two years in the book of Genesis, a um, number of years back. At uh, any rate, let's take a look at these first few verses, and then we'll pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Lord, as we pray, we ask that you would protect Jason and others that are in the Amazon. Just give them a special time in ministering. We ask now that you would open our eyes that we behold wondrous things out of your law. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There are basically three sections in here, and the, the, the first one deals with the idea of not conforming to this present world. Then the next section deals with spiritual gifts, and the last section deals with love. We're going to spend probably most of our time in the first couple of verses. We'll certainly hit the others, but I want to, I want to drive this home because there is a particular word that is found in this section here, and it's a word that if you don't know what it means, it can really lose its meaning. And when you look at it, you'll, I'll tell you that there are several different meanings to this word. It's rather nuanced, and it's this word. It says in verse 2, Do not conform yourselves any longer to the pattern of this world, 
of this world. Now, I often used to tell our people back in Northern Virginia where I preached for many years, I would tell people, when you open the Bible, you're entering the world of the unknown. In other words, the Bible tells us things we could otherwise not know. It doesn't tell you how to fix a car. It doesn't tell you how to throw a football. It doesn't tell you any of those things, but it tells you about things you would otherwise have no knowledge of. If we already had knowledge, there'd be no reason for God to have written what he's written. But he is revealing things to us. Revelation is what God wants man to know that man could otherwise not know. So when you open this book, you are seeing life from a completely different perspective. And that's what these first couple of verses are going to tell us. When it talks about the term world, be not conformed to this world. For God so loved the world... That's people. Go into all the world. That's the geography. In Galatians, it says, it says, in this present evil world, the word world there is the word age, this present evil age. And that was written 2,000 years ago. But it is normally the word cosmos, which means world system. The world system is headed up by Satan. He's the prince and the power of the world system. And the world system operates everywhere. It operates in government. It operates in the military. It operates uh, in business. It operates in music, in medicine. It operates everywhere. It operates in the pulpit, if we're not careful. But yet, God has sprinkled out Christians in the military, in medicine, in big business, in the government, so if they can be salt and light in a decaying, dark world. So I want you to understand what this word means here. Now, the word here in this particular place is the word for age, this present evil age. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, there has always been an evil age because sin operates so heavily in the world. And God, in his sovereignty, though he is over all, over absolutely everything, has chosen to allow the evil one to run the present world system. And then there'll be a time when God says, we're done. He's going to pull the choker. It's going to be over. He comes back and he is going to set up his kingdom. And that kingdom will be in this world, this physical world. He's not going to throw this world away. He will redeem it. He'll purchase it out from under its slave market. All the different problems the world experiences. You can read that in Romans chapter 8 where it talks about how the world is groaning to be released from all of its problems. And it will be. And then we will come back and we will live in this world, but it will be redeemed. And I've already chosen Switzerland. Uh, that's, where, that's, where, that's where I'm going to be. You all can be here in Nolan's most you want, but... Uh, at any rate, I just want you to have an understanding of what we mean here when it talks about uh, don't be conformed to this world. We see uh, in James, James says, whosoever loves the world is an enemy of God. In 1 John chapter 5, it says the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. So there's a lot regarding the subject matter of the world. And it doesn't mean we live in fear of the enemy all the time. We are in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. 
He that is the Holy Spirit is greater than he that is in the world. So we don't live in that kind of fear. But the beauty of Scripture is it allows me and allows you to look at life through the lens of a book that the rest of the world outside of Christ cannot see. They've got five human senses, but they do not have the sixth sense that allows us to see life as it really is. Because life is actually, to the person outside of Christ, a mirage. You've read about people that have been in the desert. They're thirsty and they're struggling. And they all of a sudden imagine that they see about 100 yards away a, an oasis. And they go running to it, but it's not there. Outside of Christ, there really is no reality. Everything is sort of a plastic system. Everything is, is fake and feigned because it's under the domination of sin and this evil world system. A Christian, on the other hand, is able to see life as it really is. That's what the gospel does. It opens our minds. It illuminates our minds so that we can understand the deep things of God. That's what's so important about reading these texts very, very carefully and seeing exactly what they have to say because the world that we're presently living in, we are marinating in its juices. We are marinating in this world. But God has placed us here for purposes, not just to marinate, but to have an impact on what is being marinated, all right? And that impact is touching other people with the gospel. And the gospel is most effective and most believed when the conviction of those who believe it can be observed by those who don't. So the gospel is a, is a powerful message that goes out. But God wants us as believers to have our minds renewed in understanding things. So let's go take a look at this particular section here as the world constantly is trying to fix itself. Always, always, always. The government is always telling you some new thing or medicine is telling you something new or technology is telling you something new. And it, didn't, it took me a number of years to realize that we, people in this world, we are the problem. And when the problem tries to solve the problem, that's a problem. And that's exactly what's been going on for years. You just look at the government, and I'm, I'm looking at, at the government, the Democrats and Republicans, through the lens here, and hmm, looks like a bunch of little ants running around having no idea what they're doing. But whoever gets in is going to clean out that swamp. <clears throat> And they get there, and they are the swamp. So at any rate, enough of that. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just simply saying the world's a mess, and it always will be. But we have an ability to see life as it really is, as it really is. Now, when he gets into this subject matter of not being conformed to the world, we're reminded in 1 John, it says, it tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. This world is passing away. Our eternal world is forever, but this world is passing away. So this text is driving us to have an eternal perspective. Hard to do because life is a vapor, but we have to see it as a vapor. I did a funeral many, many years ago for a 13-year-old boy that died of, of leukemia. And I remember it, and it was a packed house. This was oh, probably 35 years ago. It was a large gathering. And I got up and I said, Methuselah lived 969 years, and Timmy lived 13 years. 
But according to the Bible, they both live the same amount of time because the Bible says life is a vapor, just like that. And this is why the Bible is constantly driving us to have an eternal perspective. So we see here, it says that you're, you're, you're to present your body, not, not just the idea of a physical body, it's you, it's the whole you, is to be presented every day before the Lord as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable worship. Worship is simply giving God his due, his credit. It's exalting God. And we do that with our bodies. We do that with our minds. We do that with our words, our actions. That's what we're to do in this world. And this is why Paul is calling to this. But he starts out, therefore, you always have to look around to find out why the therefore is therefore. It's because he spent 11 chapters giving you this deep, rich doctrine about who we are in Christ and the gospel. And now all of a sudden, boom, he's going to move in and it isn't that doctrine isn't practical, it's very practical, but he is saying, now that we've looked at some of the deeper truths, this is how we're supposed to live those out. So that's what he's driving home in, that particular, uh, in this particular section of Scripture. Now, when we think sometimes of, of not being conformed to this world, if a person is conformed to this world, we often refer to that person as worldly. I define worldly as as enjoying the things of this life independent of glorifying God. In other words, just living out life, but not glorifying God with our home, with our business, with whatever, whatever we do. Some might say, I heard a, a theologian say, worldliness is when sin is considered normal and righteousness is considered strange. That's where we are today. And this is why we have to be very, very careful that we don't find ourselves being drawn into the ways of the world because we come to church once a week, we hear a message, uh, we might have our devotions in the morning, but the rest of the time, you're being discipled by the world. And that's why we have to be so very, very careful regarding this. So he says, don't be conformed to this present world, the pattern of this world. You are conformed by those things from the outside. The world is outside and it can conform us or draw us to be conformed by its pattern, by following its ways and its philosophies and so on. But to be transformed is something that takes place inwardly by the Holy Spirit. When you're born again, you are transformed. You are taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you're placed into the kingdom of God's dear Son. You're placed into the kingdom of light. Uh, you, you, you leave death and you enter into life. Now, keep in mind, the world does not know this. That's why everything is a mirage. There's always a, a, a great statement at some place telling uh, the world about how things are going to get better in the next year or whatever. It, I've been around long enough to tell you that ain't happening, okay? And I can't tell you how many times I've heard it at uh, commencement exercises when somebody's graduating from college or high school. They always bring in a, a politician or a movie star or an athlete or somebody to tell them this. And they'd say the same, you might as well just record it. It's the same speech over and over again. You're the generation that's going to change the world. <laughs> what your mind can conceive, you can achieve. They graduate and can't change a diaper. It's true. Or a, so much as a car tire. I, they've been spinning this wheel. This, I just, and I've done, I've spoken at graduation ceremonies before. And I don't say that. I say, when you graduate, you're going to be at the bottom of the food chain. And uh, I, got a, I got some news for you about life. And then I, I work through it, and then I give the gospel. 
and tell them what the, what the truth is. Because all of that is a mirage to tell people that they, they conceive this, this will happen. Well, am I really going to conceive that I'm going to be a linebacker for the Titans this next year? Well, none of you are laughing, so apparently you think I could be. So at any rate, the... All righty. This idea of being conformed is, is literally listening to the philosophies of the world and buying in to its message, its philosophy. And if we are not careful, we will do that. There's an old man who passed away a number of years ago, an uh, old Baptist preacher named Vance Havner. And Vance Havner, you can still get the message. It's, it's called Getting Used to the Dark. And it was, he probably did it 50 years ago. It's a little fuzzy, but you can still hear it. Vance Havner was speaking at a church and the host pastor picked him up at the airport, took him to a, an Italian restaurant. He went downstairs. It was very, very dark. He had to eat by faith and not by sight. He said he couldn't see a thing on the menu. And eventually, after a while, uh, after a while the other pastor said, hey, after you've been here a while, your eyes kind of get acclimated. You sort of get used to the dark. And Vance Havner said, thanks. You just gave me the title of a message, Getting Used to the Dark. It's an old message, and it is so prophetic, it's unimaginable about what he was seeing coming up uh, through the ages. So we have to be careful that we don't just get used to what's going on. Uh, we don't have to hate it. We don't have to be badgering it. I get myself worked up way too much about things that I see taking place. But that's not why we're here, to judge the world or to get angry at the world. We're here to preach the gospel to the world and give people hope. Because all they have is a mirage. That's all they're looking at today. Now we see this. It says, once you have done this, you'll be able to, it says in, uh, in verse uh, 2, do not conform yourselves any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the mind has to be renewed. It is renewed by the word of God. That's what fleshes things out. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I cannot tell you how many times through the years people have asked me, I just don't know what God's will is for my life. Could be a teenager. Could be somebody in their 20s. Could be somebody in their 50s. And they're always trying to figure out what's the next thing. What, do, what am I supposed to do? Here's the answer to the will of God for your life. You will notice what he says. He gives us the very clear recipe, if you would. He says, I want you to present your bodies... I want you to present the whole you to me, all right, as, as a sacrifice, okay? Don't be conformed to this world. If you do those two things, you don't have to worry about where you're going to move, what job you're going to take, who you're going to marry, uh, what you're going to major in in college. You don't have to worry about any of those things. Every one of those will fall into place as you Step in every single day. The word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Every day that you step in to that calling that God has, ethical and moral, he will lead you to those big decisions. So when he talks about this is your, the will of God for your life, he's not talking about where you go to college or who you marry or what job you're going to take. He's talking about living a moral and ethical life, transformed and having your mind renewed by this book, and everything else will fall into place. That's what he's talking about. It took me a long time in my own life to begin to recognize all I needed to do was be obedient to what he says, and everything else will fall into its place. Let's look, jump down to verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say, every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, 
but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are, are many inform one body, and each member belongs to the others. Now, this is also found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14, where it talks about uh, these, these gifts that God has given us. And there isn't enough time to get into all the issues of the gifts of healing and prophecy and all those things, known as, as spiritual gifts, but miraculous gifts. When people want to know, what is my gift? It's not hard to figure it out, all right? I'm just going to help you right now. If you're thinking, well, I just don't know what my gift is. I have no idea what my gift is. My definition of a gift is this. When you were outside of Christ, you had some abilities, talents, maybe leadership or whatever. When you stepped into Christ, what God did with that talent was he spiritually empowered it. And now it's used for eternal purposes. You still have the, nothing, as I recall, changed in my life. I knew what I was fairly good at and what I wasn't good at. I didn't get some new thing. What I got was an empowered thing. I, I always knew that I was a fairly merciful person. When I got into, in, when I came to know the Lord, that was empowered where I, 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 I really cared for people, which led me to want to teach his word to help people through life. I'm, I'm driven. Everybody's driven by something. Every pastor is driven by something. You know, Jeff is an incredible exhorter for people to come to know the Lord. I'm more of an, of an exhorter in, in having you know how to live the Christian life on a daily basis. And we overlap, which is why we do such a wonderful, we have such a wonderful time going to the Amazon and teaching together. And, and it's both of us using our gifts and abilities in just different ways. And that's what the body is. Here's the problem. And this is an actual statistic. That, that 90 or 80% of people, 80% of people that are in the church, they say 80% give nothing, nothing to the church financially. 80%. And there's probably another, uh, it's probably true the other way, 80-20 rule where you begin to realize that most of the people aren't terribly involved. And I wasn't asked to talk about getting involved. That's not, not my point. My point is this. If you do not use your giftedness, your talents, your abilities to help serve the body of Christ wherever you are, you wind up robbing people because they may be serving you. I used to park cars at the Diplomat Hotel in Miami uh, when I was working my way through Bible college. And I can remember so many times, we had about six runners, but if there was a big evening like Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra was there, there's gonna be a huge flow of people coming out to get their cars. I used to, I was going through Bible college and I'd go up and get the next, you know, car and race out and get it and bring it back. A lot of the other guys, they would go out to the seawall and smoke pot while I'm picking up all the cars. They pick up one, I pick up 10. They pick up another one, I pick up another 10. And you're thinking, well, yeah, but you're getting, you're getting more tips. All the tips go in one box and we divide it up at the end of the evening. Yeah. And I'm still bitter. No, I... <laughs> I've long forgotten it. I can't believe it came up as an illustration. Anyway, <laughs> but it was true, you know, and that's a little bit how I look sometimes at church is, is seeing so many people doing a lot of things and some people just not really get doing anything and you're missing out. 
You're missing out on receiving a blessing and you're missing out on blessing. Look at verse six. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophecy, let him use it in a proportion of his faith. This is not talking about foretelling the future. It's talking about forth-telling truth. Some people have that gift. Verse 7, if it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If he's a leader in leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And I think most people sort of know what you're good at. And just ask God to work through you in it. Or, or friends will tell you, you know, you're really good at this. I remember years ago, uh, I had a, a guy on staff, and great leader, really good leader. And then one day, there was somebody in the hospital, and I couldn't make it, so I turned to him, and I said, hey, John, can you go over and, and visit this person in the hospital? He went, you want me to walk inside of a hospital? And I said, yes. Ooh. What do they have? And I told him there's some disease, and he went, ooh. He wouldn't go. Great leader, not a guy you want visiting you in the hospital. <laughs> because when he's finished, you're going to feel sicker. than. You know, <laughs> then I had another guy that couldn't wait to go to the hospital. He just loved holding people's hands and just talking to them about the Lord and praying with them. Different gifts, different gifts. And this is why we have to sort of understand where we fit within the body of Christ. And a good place to go is back to 1 Corinthians sometime, verse 12, and just sort of read over it. And so, as we see this, it goes on, and then, uh, then it says this in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving uh, the Lord. You know what it says? It says, never be lacking in zeal or, or honor one another above yourselves. That is not natural. It's not natural to love people above ourselves. This is why we have the Sermon on the Mount where everything is turned upside down. You die to live. Uh, you, you, you give your life to find it. You give to get. You humble yourself to be exalted. You serve to lead. Everything is upside down in the kingdom. But it isn't natural because today, everything, it's all about me. All of it. In the latter days, Paul says, men will be lovers of themselves. Boy, he didn't even know what a cell phone was. And then get it out there to make sure everybody knows how great we look, all right? I, I, I know they're, I'm, I'm a curmudgeon, so I'm just going after a few negative things here. But I have a cell phone. It just went off, as a matter of fact. Uh, I get these calls all day long from, I don't know what they're, spam things. And I, I, I had as many as 50 the other day. And if somebody can show me how to smash that thing, let me know afterwards. We'll do it. All right. He's talking here about loving, loving people more than yourself. This is not natural, but it is the direction that God is calling us to. Paul is always telling us things that we don't naturally think and we don't naturally like, all right? But it's still what we are called to, we are called to. And then he says this. He says in verse 7, do not repay anyone evil for evil. That is not natural today. We always want to get back. It's just natural. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. You know what it says, don't repay evil for evil. I had a friend of mine who spoke Chinese fluently. He was a lawyer, and he could represent big companies uh, to China. He got 10% 
of whatever the sale was, what have you. And he was in China, and he sold a very large, a three and a half million dollar exchange of some sort for some big company in the States. And they, they uh, decided they were going to renege on paying him. They just said, we, sue us. And he's a lawyer. He's also a Rhodes Scholar, but he was also a very intense believer, very intense. So he wrote back to the vice president of the company. It's, I won't mention the name. It's a big company, as I, I recall. And he said, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to sue you. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go evil for evil. He said, I'm going to turn this over to my advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. The check was in the mail in about an hour. Well, he was. Scared the daylights out of this company. And that's, he didn't have to go to court, never do anything. He just put it there, laid it up. So this is what this is sort of getting at. And it, it doesn't say you can't sue, but you're not to sue people within the body of Christ. And that's another subject matter. And then we get it with this whole idea of, of, of love. And then we read down here, it, it goes on, it says, uh, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in everybody's eyes. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Notice it says, King James says, as much as within you is, live peaceably with all people. You know full well there are some people that are just impossible to live with, okay? But as much as you can, because God understands we have a, we have a saturation point, as much as you can, live with all people peacefully. And then he goes on, he talks about if your enemy needs food, feed him, and everything is, again, reversed. But here's the point. The point is that Paul, at the very beginning here, is telling us that our lives need to be very, very different. And this book makes us very, very wise. Not our wisdom, his wisdom. Wisdom doesn't guarantee you won't have any problems at life. It simply guarantees you won't be the cause. All right? Doesn't guarantee you won't have any problems, but it guarantees you won't be the cause of the problems. And so as we're having our minds renewed day by day and offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, things begin to happen. We start discovering what God's will is for the next step in our lives. We start uh, We start. Uh, touching the lives of people outside the body of Christ because they see something different in us. Uh, I was just reading the other day, I think it's in uh, 1 Thessalonians someplace where it was talking about how our lives literally are a rebuke to people outside of the kingdom without us saying a word. Without us saying a word. My son works for a large corporation and he says his boss... When, and, and she lets it loose every once in a while and just drops every four-letter word there is, and she always apologizes to him. There's a whole group in a big meeting. Oh, David, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And David walked over and he says, you don't have to apologize to me. And she says, but you never swear. She's watched his life and knows he, he just doesn't use that kind of language. And it's getting to her, all right? She's starting to apologize because she knows it's wrong. He never said anything about it being wrong. But the conscience either accuses or excuses us. And people know. We have a heart. The law is written in our hearts. Romans 2. We know what's right and wrong in life. And so does the person outside of Christ. And so our lives should be so distinct as being that salt and light in this world. When you look at, at all the things that God tells us to do or not to do, the Bible is not a rule book. 
That is not to say that it doesn't have certain rules. If you go back, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament that the Jew had to keep. The problem is, the law tells you where you're supposed to be, but it condemns your every attempt to get there. You can't keep the law. Nobody's ever kept one of the Ten Commandments. And you're going, well, well, I've never done that. You've thought of it. You've thought of it. That's why Jesus says everybody has broken every single law that there is. If you break one part of the law, according to James, you've broken all of it. Therefore, the law is not something which, unfortunately, religious people do. They look at it as rungs on a ladder trying to climb up to reach uh, heaven and show God their, their spiritual letter sweater. He's not impressed. He's not impressed. Romans says there's none good, no, not one. Not one. Not every one that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but those that do the will of my Father. You don't do the will of the Father to get into heaven, but if you're on your way to heaven, you'll do the will of the Father. That's part of sanctification. You won't do it perfectly, but you will do it. You see, our citizenship, according to Scripture, our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and confessed the fact that they were strangers and pilgrims in this world. When you renew your mind, you'll see yourself as a stranger. You'll find this world to be very, very strange. It's like, I don't fit here, and we don't. It's awkward to live in a world where we have been given new life and hope. Our citizenship is in heaven, which means we're from a place we've never been. Where are you from? Heaven. Really? What's it like? I don't know. I've never been there. But someday I will, but I've read about it. I read about it. And I just... No matter where I go, I'm always going to end by leaving people with this understanding. It's called the gospel. The gospel is the good news that you can't even begin to earn your way to heaven. There is nothing you can offer God that would make him impressed. Nothing. God is impressed with his son who kept the law perfectly for you and for me. He earned our salvation by keeping the law perfectly, the perfect righteous demands of the law. And by keeping those righteous demands, when a person puts their faith in Christ, it's just as though they kept the law perfectly. Because Christ gives us, puts to our account, His righteousness. Not our righteousness, His righteousness. It's called the great exchange. He takes on our sin, we take on His righteousness. That's the good news of the gospel. Because in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be perfect. Not good, perfect. And Christ offers his perfection, placed to our account. We believe the good news of the gospel. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take communion. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to share some words out of your word today. But it is my prayer that should there be one, five, ten people here today that do not know you, that today would be the day that they would call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save them, putting their total hope and confidence in you and nothing else, not their human goodness, their religion, or anything else but Christ and Christ alone, that they might pass from death unto life. We ask that you bless our time of communion, and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your communion... Uh, cups, please take it and open up. We'll take the bread first. And if you can take that out. Uh, and we need to take this very, very seriously. Uh, 
I have a friend of mine, uh, Anglican, Episcopalian Anglican, and he says that in their church, everything is around communion. Everything. The preaching of the word is about 10 minutes. I'm used to preaching 45 or 50. Uh, he, and, he, and, and he says, but everything is communion. They take it very seriously. And I think sometimes churches like Rolling Hills or Reston Bible Church, we're into the word so much we forget how serious this matter is. He even talks about examining ourselves before we, we take it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he had broken it. After he had broken it, he gave thanks. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Let's partake. Thank you, Lord, for your broken body. For without it, we would have no hope of entering into eternal life. And Father, we pray, Lord, now that we would consider uh, the seriousness of this matter. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In like manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And as you often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake. Lord Jesus, you say without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And we're thankful that you shed your blood so that we might have that forgiveness. It's our desire today to worship you, to honor you, to give you all the glory for our lives today. And may our minds be truly transformed and renewed. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.